My guess is that some of you were like me. You grew up and there was just, there was something about superheroes, right? Uh, there's something about those, those men and women who had like those superpowers and they could do like these extraordinary things and you just, you, you wanted to be like them, right? You wanted to be a, a superhero. I remember my mom just loves to tell a story uh, when we were much younger, preschool age and uh, that uh, uh, my sister's a few years younger than I am and so we would like go through the neighborhood and uh, I would say, I'm Batman and she would follow behind saying me wobbin me wobbin me wobbin right and so we were we were preschool cape crusaders fighting crime on the mean streets of Philly and I know I know Philadelphia was much safer because of our our presence there with our with our capes on uh, fighting crime but there's just something about it and, and what I know is I'm not the only one because somebody figured out that they could take some of these like comic book superheroes and put them on film and make billions of dollars, right? And so, and so now there's this whole whole industry of just kind of producing uh, superhero films and stuff and making just money hand over fist uh, across the world. And and they're just they're fun flicks. They're fun, you know. They're not super serious, and you know the things they're too unbelievable to ever be true, but it's, it's just kind of fun entertainment to watch sometimes along the way. I remember uh, a few years ago now when uh, kind of the first uh, uh, big pictures of Spider-Man was coming out. Tobey Maguire was playing the, the, the role of Spider-Man there, and uh, there was just uh, the, one of those great little lines that sometimes finds its way into, into shows like that, and it was kind of wisdom from his Uncle Ben, and some of you know it. It's kind of reverberated for a while now. But he, he just said to him, with great power goes great responsibility. With great power goes great responsibility. Now, I don't think the Apostle Paul ever read a comic book or uh, uh, saw a, a superhero flick. But I think he would have affirmed that statement. Because it's very much in line with what he's trying to remind us of in Romans 8. That if you are in Jesus Christ, you have uh, an incredible capacity, incredible power. That there's some things true about your life now that was not true about your life before. And with that great, great power, with that great privilege, with that great position that you have now, you, you, ha you have been set free. But with that goes an awesome responsibility. And we said last week, kind of in introing this series, uh, that with every spiritual privilege goes a spiritual responsibility. And we looked at the fact that right out of the gate in Romans 8, Paul reminded us of this great power, this great privilege, that we don't have to live our life any longer under condemnation. But there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And, and, and let me just, just kind of go ahead and throw this out. I don't, don't usually do this, but uh, just God seems to have really been using that message uh, this past week and just tons of feedback from, from folks and even continuing into this morning. And, and if you weren't here, you were out of town or whatever and didn't get to hear that, that might be worth you revisiting that, that first message in this series because uh, there's just, 
just some powerful truth there in those first opening words of Romans 8. And, and listen, I don't get a dime if you listen to it, so it, it's not, it does not going to benefit me, but hope it would be a, a blessing to you. But as we reminded ourselves last week, if we are in Jesus Christ, if there is now no condemnation, we, we have this, this power that we have been set free. We've been set free, as we talked about, from the penalty of sin, that we are under no condemnation, no guilt, because Jesus Christ did it all. Jesus Christ paid it all. So therefore, I no longer have to live carrying around the weight of that. I no longer have to function with that penalty hanging over my head. But the other part of that no condemnation was I've been set free from the power of sin. That sin no longer has dominion over me because I am not under the law, but I am under grace. And so I have a, a new capacity for living. I have a new empowerment for living. But with that empowerment goes great responsibility. That I am responsible to live in light of my new position, my new power, my new identity. Now, when we talk about being free from the power of sin, let's just kind of get crystal clear on the front end. Though the power of sin is still present, and you know that, I know that, it's still present in my life and yours. It's still present in this world because our bodies have not yet fully been redeemed. The world is not yet fully redeemed. While the power of sin is still present, the Holy Spirit frees genuine believers from being controlled by it. And in fact, is that that ought to be one of the marks of a genuine believer, that increasingly we see evidence of being set free from the dominion and the control and the power of sin in our lives because we have this great power and with it a great responsibility, a responsibility to live in a distinct way, to live not according to the flesh, but to live according to the Spirit. And so what I want to do is just kind of unpack Paul's argument here a little bit and then hopefully just remind us of how we can put that into, into practice and just to live out of our new identity in Jesus Christ. He contrasts in verses 5 through 8 kind of contrasting ways of living according to the flesh or according to the Spirit. Let me just go ahead and read those verses, invite you to follow along, and then we'll uh, back up and unpack a little bit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to, set, for to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Now, there's a lot kind of packed into those verses, but maybe it'll help to kind of put it in a chart form. Uh, some of this is very uh, specific in those verses. Some of it is more implied. But as we think about the difference that being in Christ makes, the difference by having been sealed by God's Holy Spirit makes in our lives, we understand that we can live differently. We have the power and the capacity to live differently. And so he kind of gives us a lot of different areas. One of the first is our mindset that our mindset begins to function differently. In the old way of living, we lived according to the flesh, and our mind was set on the things of the flesh. So we were all about position, power, and pleasure, and you know what made me comfortable, and uh, my priorities, and my agenda, and all those things. So our mind was set on the flesh. But when, when God's Spirit comes in, our mindset begins to shift, that increasingly we begin to think of things of the Spirit. 
things that we think from God's perspective. We see people uh, differently. We love differently. We value different things. We begin to think differently because we're thinking after things of the Spirit. When the area is about kind of the ultimate end, he says, if you follow this track down, if you continue to, to function in this way, there's, there's an end that's connected to both of those. If it's according to the flesh, the end is death. It's death. Because when I function according to the flesh, it brings death. It brings death in relationships, death to hopes and dreams. The enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And that, that is his purpose. Where the contrast is, when I live by this divine enablement, I experience life. And I experience peace because Christ is the one who came not to steal, kill, and destroy, to give us life. And we might have life and might have it more abundantly. And there, there is a peace that begins to function in our life as we begin to live more and more in alignment with uh, the purposes of God. When you think about the area of our attitude toward God, if we're functioning according to the flesh, we find ourselves hostile to God. And don't we even see that emerging more and more in our culture? That there, there is an increasing hostility to God, to the things of God, to, to, to the, the, the laws of God, the, the principles of God's word. There's, there's this hostility. and We express it sometimes overtly, sometimes a little more subtly, but, but there's a hostility in our attitude toward God. Whereas when we function according to the Spirit, there's a receptivity. We're receptive. They were receptive to God. We, we want to open our lives to God. We want to know more of him. We want to have him own more and more of our lives. There's, a, there's an openness. There's a receptivity there. When you come to God's laws, and these are certainly very closely related, Paul says, when I function according to the flesh, my life before Jesus Christ, I don't submit. I just don't submit because I'm the one on the throne. I'm in charge. I feel like I'm smarter than God. I got it together. I don't need his guidance. Thank you very much. I don't submit. But when the Spirit begins to function in us, we find ourselves to submitting. We find ourselves joyfully beginning to say, God, I trust you more than I trust myself. God, I want my life to line up with your laws because I know your laws are good. I know your principles are good. I want my life to be in the pathway of life and peace and hope and all the things that you desire to bring. One more area he talks about in those verses is just our ability to please God. And when it comes to our ability to please God, if I am in the flesh, if I am functioning according to the flesh, I cannot please God. I mean, he just says, it is impossible. That doesn't mean that a, that a person can't do a good deed or a nice thing, be a good neighbor, a good employee, can. But even our best efforts on our best days are tainted by sin and, and kind of a mixture of motivations and that sort of thing. So we cannot please God. But when we live according to the Spirit, we are enabled. We are enabled to live a life that is pleasing to God. And that doesn't mean that all of our efforts and actions are perfect, far from it. But, but there is this this pleasure of God because it flows. It flows from this new life that is in us, this life of the Spirit that is in us. And so Paul begins to kind of set up this argument. You, you've been set free. 
You've been set free to live differently. And he begins to kind of contrast living according to the flesh or living according to the spirit. And then he goes on to begin to unpack this life in the spirit. And, and in some sense, that's what the whole chapter is about. Uh, but, but here in these verses, he, he talks to us about this is, this is kind of what's true about you. This is what's true about you if you are in Jesus Christ, if you are truly living life in the Spirit. This is what is true about you. And maybe one of the simplest ways to just grab a hold of this is to think about past, present, and future. He says there, there are some things that are true about you. And if you are in Jesus Christ, then there's, there's something about your past. There's something about your past. Look at verse 9. We'll just kind of go through this one at a time. Verse 9, you, however are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. There has been this change, and we talked about in Jesus Christ being that key phrase from last week. If, in fact, the spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. So what he is saying here, this is something that is absolutely true about you. That if you are in Jesus Christ, if you have opened your life to the word of truth, every genuine believer has the Holy Spirit. This is your superpower, if you will. That you have this divine enablement. You have this new life within you. Paul wrote to the Ephesians and talked about being sealed with the Holy Spirit. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. See, here, here's the, here again... I've got to understand the truest thing about me is what God says about me. And you may not have woke up this morning and said, you know, I feel like I'm sealed with the Holy Spirit. The fact is you may have felt groggy or you may have felt grumpy or you may have had something that ached or your mind may have been flooded with all the things you didn't get done uh, on Saturday or whatever it is. Anything but the fact that you're filled with the Spirit, that you've been sealed with the Spirit. But what Scripture says is true about you and I if we are truly in Jesus Christ that we have been sealed with the Holy Spirit, that there is this new life within us, and with that new life is a new capacity. So he talks about the kind of that past, when I, when I came to understand who Christ was, when I came. The fact is, if, the, if that life is not in me, then I'm not connected to Christ. The two are together. If you have the Spirit, you have Christ. If you have Christ, you have the Spirit. If you don't have the Spirit, you don't have Christ. No matter how religious you are, you don't have Christ. It is true. Every genuine believer has the Holy Spirit. But then he goes on to talk about kind of our present. Well, what is true about my present if I am not in the flesh but in the Spirit? Verse 10. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin... The Spirit is life because of righteousness. Now, there's two things that are true about my present. And there's kind of a negative and a positive, maybe the way to think about it. The negative is our physical bodies have the seeds of literal physical death in them. And we will eventually cease to live. Because of the reality of sin, and, and this is why Paul is, I want you to be absolutely clear about who you are. And part of who we are is that we still have within us this, this principle of the flesh. Our physical bodies are not yet fully redeemed. 
And because of sin in the world, because of our sin, we have the seeds of death within us. And sometimes when we're young, we don't think about that, right? In fact, is sometimes we kind of think we're just almost indestructible. <laughs> but then something happens as you kind of go through life. Maybe death intrudes in your world through the death of a friend. Or maybe you get a diagnosis of a disease and you start to realize I'm not indestructible anymore. Or maybe as you age, you start to see that friends and classmates and co-workers aren't with us anymore and that reality begins to settle in not just on an intellectual level but a little more on a heart level and we understand that this is what's true about me that I just have a run here and it's going to go by a whole lot quicker than I ever thought but while that's true Paul wants to remind us, as he wrote to the Corinthians, that, that some things may be happening on the outside, but there's things happening on the inside as well. So we do not lose heart. In the face of death and disease, in the face of deterioration of our body sometimes, we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. And that leads to the kind of the positive that's about our present, we are now spiritually alive to things we were previously dead to. Yes, our, our physical body is experiencing deterioration, or in Paul's word, wasting away. But there is a, another principle of life operative within us now that we are in Jesus Christ. That there were some things that we actually were dead to. Paul wrote to the Ephesians, you were dead in your trespasses and sins, but now you are alive to in a fresh new way. And we could list a lot of them. Let me just give you three to get started. First of all, to God. That we are alive to God. That we, we are able to, to know God and to relate to God and connect with God. Now uh, we have a capacity, we have a power, we have an enablement to do that we never had before. But we have been brought to life by the life-giving spirit. We've been granted life through the work of Jesus Christ. And because of that, we are alive to God like we've never been alive before. And we are alive to the Bible, to the Bible. And some of you have had this experience personally or maybe some friends you've dealt with through the years. But you come and you say, you know, I read that Bible. I tried one time. And it, it didn't make any sense to me. I, mean, I ain't getting nothing out of it. And maybe you've even tried to share Christ with somebody. And they say, well, I, I didn't get anything out of it. And then something happens. Something happens in your life. You, you encounter Jesus Christ. You are sealed with the Holy Spirit. And all of a sudden, this book that didn't make sense and didn't make a difference, all of a sudden, things start popping off the page. And you're reading something, and it's just like bullseye. It hits you right between the eye. You, you read something, and it just grips your heart. And, and you begin to just sense God's Spirit speaking to you through these words, through these pages that didn't make any sense to you just months or years ago go why because now you're alive to the bible that you never were alive like that before because of the presence of the spirit in your life but you're also uh, much more open and sensitive to the presence of the spirit in other christians 
And so there may have been a time where, where when, when you weren't in Christ, that they just seemed like strange people. And now, it's not saying there's still not some strange people. There are, but, but there, there's something that even kind of supersedes strangeness, right? Don't look at them. Just don't look at them right now. But. And it's the Spirit. It's the Spirit. And there, there is something that you understand. It connects you to other believers. The Spirit in you connects with the Spirit in other believers believers and that doesn't mean that you're best friends and best buds with everybody in the body of Christ but it means there's that connection that connection that you didn't have before that's part of my present and yours because of the presence of God's Holy Spirit but not only does the Spirit impact our past and our present but it also speaks to our future to our future. Look at the encouragement that Paul gave to the Romans in verse 11. If the spirit of him, excuse me, who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Think about that just a moment. If this spirit is in you, This body that we just said was deteriorating isn't always going to be in that condition. Because of the Spirit, the one who raised Jesus from the dead is going to do the same for you and for me. That we will experience a physical resurrection and be with Christ forever. And all of that is true about me, not because of my goodness, not because of my good deeds, not because of my religion, but because of the life that God has brought to me through Jesus Christ. Because of that Holy Spirit which has sealed my eternity with him that I have this past where I came to know Christ and the spirit sealed my life a present that while the body is wasting away there's a new principle of life operating I am enabled to experience things and do things that I never could before and I have this future this future that's secure that no matter what happens to my body God has a purpose for it And it will be resurrected, uh, and I will be in his presence forever. Those are just some of the samplings of the the power that we have, the enablement we have, the things that are true about us if we are in Jesus Christ. And with all that being true, we now have an empowered opportunity because with great power grows great responsibility. And we have a calling, a privilege an obligation, an opportunity to live differently. Let's read together verses 12 and 13. invite you to follow along. So then, brothers, all of this is true about you. No condemnation in Christ Jesus. This new life in the Spirit. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. You have an obligation. You have a calling. You have an opportunity. And here's the thing. Our greatest obligation is also our greatest opportunity. Our greatest obligation is our greatest opportunity to live my life surrendering to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. 
I now can do that. I now begin to desire to do that because of the presence of the Spirit in my life. I now have a capacity. I don't have to live in a way that brings death with it, but I can live in a way that brings life and peace and hope and power. I can live in the empowerment of the Spirit, fully surrendered, joyfully surrendered to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And when you begin to think about it, is there any greater purpose to live than to live life aligned with God's design and to be used for God's eternal purposes? I mean, think about that. You know, folks have been caught up in watching the Olympics for a couple weeks and great athletes, great accomplishments, great dedication. I mean, wow, right? I mean, folks have literally labored for years for sometimes a few seconds of fame, right? And I'm not saying that's a bad thing. I'm not putting that down. I mean, I celebrate that. But let's get real here for just a minute, right? I mean, can anybody in this room name all of the gold medal winners from this year's Olympics? I can't even name all the events, right? How about... All the gold medal winners from four years ago. Probably even less. Anything wrong with a gold medal? No. But if that's the peak of your life, then you've missed life. Because I want you to experience a life that doesn't just culminate in a few seconds of fame and a few endorsement deals, and a shiny trinket in a glass case somewhere. But I want you to experience a life that matters, that matters now, that matters as its impact reverberates throughout eternity. And that only happens when I live not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. When I begin to understand that my greatest obligation is not to the flesh. (laughs) I'm not a debtor to the flesh. It has done nothing but brought death and destruction into my life. I have an obligation. I have a calling. I have an empowerment to the Spirit. And that becomes my greatest opportunity to live a life that really matters. But I'll never do it. I'll never do it unless I realize the truth about myself. And the key is to realize the truth about ourselves and to put it into practice by the enabling power of God's Holy Spirit. And in some sense, that's all that Romans 8 is about. Remember who you are. Remember your identity. This is what's true about you. As we said last week, the truest thing about me is what God says about me. He says there is now no condemnation for those who are in Jesus Christ. He says you are no longer in the flesh, but you are in the spirit. And because of that, you operate out of a new identity. And as you operate out of a new identity, you also discover a new enablement, a new empowerment to live life distinctly, to live life in a way that matters now, that brings life to relationships in the world in a a way that reverberates because it aligns with God's eternal purposes throughout eternity. But how do I kind of put that into practice? Well, interesting, at the end of verse 13, there's this calling. He kind of spells out kind of the first obligation, if you will. He says to us that we are to put to death the deeds of the body. 
that when you put to death the deeds of the body, you experience the flow of life through you. The deeds of the body derail the work of the Spirit in our lives. And so we are to put to death the deeds of the body or the deeds of the flesh. So how do I do that? Well, let me just, again, this is not going to be revolutionary, new. Maybe it'll be revolutionary if we put it into practice, all right? Let me just give you five quick things that, that may help to begin to put to death the deeds of the body. And the first is just to recognize the presence of sin in our lives. And that just goes back to what we were just talking about a moment ago. Let's just, let's just be very, very real. What is true about me? What's true about me is I have been set free. I've been enabled. I've been empowered by the Spirit. But also what's true about me is as long as I'm in this world, sin is present. Sin is present around me, and there is that principle of sin still operating within me, within my unredeemed flesh. And I have to recognize that reality. If I blow that off, if I just kind of say, well, I don't have to deal with that anymore because I'm a follower, I'm I'm never going to put to death the deeds of the body. Peter writing said, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles, you're passing through this world, to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. To just understand, wait a minute, God, there's this principle at work in my life that wages war against life. It wages war against my soul. To recognize, why did Paul talk about fighting the good fight and putting on the full armor of God and all those images that are in the New Testament? Because there is a very real war, and that war calls us to recognize the presence of an enemy, right? I mean, if you don't recognize the enemy, you get your clock cleaned, right? But to say, this is true. There is this enemy and it's operative and it's not just out there, but it's also in here. And I got to go to war against it. Recognize the presence of sin in our lives. But also recognize that's not all that's in our life. Fix our heart on God's presence and power. And don't don't fixate on the sin, whether out there or in here, but fix your mind, your heart on God's presence and God's power. The psalmist said, my heart is steadfast, O God. My heart is steadfast. I will sing and make melody. That there, that he said, I, I know where I'm going to fix my mind. I know where I'm going to fix my heart. I'm not just going to fix it. I'm going to recognize the enemy. I'm going to recognize the reality of sin, but where I'm going to focus, where I'm going to concentrate, God is with me. God is within me, the Holy Spirit. That God is at work around me. That that God enables, God empowers. God's not leaving or forsaking. God's not cutting and running, but God is present. And as we'll see again later in Romans 8, God is not only with us, but God is for us. And he is for life. And I fix my heart on that. And to do that, I need to meditate on the truth of God's word. And you'll probably hear this kind of coming up again and again and again because it is so central. Because the first battlefront is always the battlefront of the mind. And so I have to meditate on God's word. The psalmist said, I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. That's why last week I encouraged you. As we go through this series, if there's, if there's a verse that we've studied that week, just, just maybe write that verse down. Put it on your phone. Put it on your computer screen, wherever you'll see it. But just to keep that verse before you. 
Just to say, God, I just want to saturate my mind with this truth. I want to marinate my mind in this truth because I get all these messages from the world and they're mixed at best. God, I need, I need to marinate my mind in your truth. If I'm going to live out of truth, if I'm going to live out of my new identity, if I'm going to live according to the empowerment that I have, I have to keep coming back to that truth. But partner that truth with kind of an ongoing conversation with God. Commune with God in prayer. Commune with God in prayer. The author of Hebrews encourages us, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. When I'm trying to put to death the deeds of the body, when I'm trying to to, to live in light of my new identity, when I'm trying to say no to to the old ways and the old habits and the old hangups, I need grace, I need mercy, and where I find that is before the throne of grace. And yes, that means Pat was talking in the, the welcome time of kind of having, having some of those habits in my life, maybe some fixed times of prayer, I start my day or whatever, but, but also just to carry that with you, carry that conversation with you. I mean, we, we kind of talk to ourselves all the time anyway, don't we? Might as well talk to God, right? And so, you know, you're walking into that meeting tomorrow morning. God, I don't want to do this one alone. God, I just recognize you're present here. Just, Lord, give me, give me the words to say. And give me the capacity to listen. Help me to shut up when I need to shut up. Help me to see what you're doing here, how I can join you. You're at home with the family, the kids. God, what are you doing in my kids' lives? What are you doing in my spouse's life? What, how do I cooperate with that? Hey, well, God, how, how do I bring Jesus Christ to bear in this situation? Now, you're firing out that email or you're responding to one or you're on the phone or you're texting, whatever it is. Just invite Christ into all of those. Just kind of carry on that conversation with the Lord uh, throughout your day. You're fixing your mind on God's presence and power. You're, you're recognizing the reality of sin, but you're not going to stay there. You're going to meditate on God's truth. You're going to have that continual uh, communion and conversation with God. But then at some point, it comes down to what I do. All those things. And, and the encouragement here is to obey. Obey God in all things, big and small. Okay, and that's very intentional in that wording. To the Corinthians, Paul said, no, no, doesn't matter whether we're at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. And if I'm really going to put to death the deeds of the body, if I'm really going to live according to the spirit, I really have to have that as the target. God, in all things, in all things, big things, small things, I want to please you. Because I know when I please you, I know when my life is aligned with your design, with your purposes, that's where life at its best is really found. That's where those things that happen in my life reverberate positively throughout all eternity. God, I want my life to be right there. But here's what we do sometimes. Sometimes we start kind of ranking things and say, God, in the big things, I'm there, man. I'm your guy. I mean, when it comes to those big things, I'll obey you. The little things, you know, it's a little thing. I'll just kind of do this, do this, go with the flow. You know, it's not that big a deal. I mean, does it really matter if I fill this report out this way and get a couple extra bucks because everybody does it or whatever it is? But here's what happens. What I do in the little things trains me for the big things. 
what I happen to do in the little things, and by the way, sometimes we look back and realize what I thought was a little thing actually was a pretty big thing. But when I, what I do in those little moments prepares me for the bigger moments. It shapes my character. It trains my responses. And so if I don't make it my aim to please God in all things, big and small, then what I find is that I won't have the capacity to obey, obey him in the big things because I've been training myself in an entirely different direction in the little things. If I'm really going to put to death the deeds of the body, I can't just say, God, just the big things. I can say, God, it's my aim, it's my goal, spirit-prompted and spirit-enabled to please you in all things. Now, I know when, when we hear something like that, and I know what my reaction is, <laughs> impossible. I can't do that. And there's truth in that. I can't do it on my own. And that's why as, as we think about this, this set free, I've been set free to live distinctly. I've been set free to live differently. I've been set free to live a life of distinction, a life that matters, a life that makes a difference by the enabling power of God's Spirit. I want you to hold two truths uh, that are parallel, uh, but you need to hold them together. The first comes from John chapter 15, where Jesus gave that wonderful picture of, of the vine and the branches and our need to be connected to him. I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Catch that last phrase. Apart from his enablement, apart from his empowerment, I can do nothing. Remember remember the distinction as we were going through that chart a little bit ago? In the flesh cannot please God. You cannot. But I can do that in him, and that's the parallel truth in Philippians 4. Paul's talking about learning to be content and some of the challenges that he's faced through his life. He said, what I have learned is I can do. I can do all things through the one, through Christ, through him who strengthens me. I can do this. What God calls me to do, he empowers me. He enables me to do. I can do this through Jesus Christ. But apart from him, I can do nothing. And so I need to hold those two very much together so that when I come to those moments and say I can't what I need to say is I can't apart from you but I can do this through Jesus Christ I can't handle this situation I can't deal with this anymore on my own but I can do this through Jesus Christ I can't say no to that temptation I can't break that habit I can't live differently and distinctly yes you can you can't do it on your own but you can do it through Jesus Christ. And I've got to hold those things together. And let me try to just share with you a story, and I hope it'll be maybe helpful to you. Stuart Briscoe tells about uh, trying to teach some of these truths to some men. And, and there was one man in particular, he was just, he just said, you know, I, I hear you, but I'm not buying it. Because... I, it, it confuses me. I don't understand it. And quite honestly, it just hasn't been my experience. 
my experience is there are some things that just kind of have a stranglehold in my life and I can't break them. There are things that no matter how much I, I kind of try to get above them, they just keep dragging me down. And I find myself praying and making resolutions and I'm going to do better and all these things and some of those old habits and hang-ups just drag me back. And so he said, well, let's, let's talk a little bit more about that personally. And the only time they could kind of get their calendar synced up was when this guy who happened to be a kind of a private pilot was going to be flying. He said, well, let's, we'll just fly together and we'll just do that. And so shows up to get ready to jump on the plane and fly around, I think, the Los Angeles area. And Stewart said he kind of had one of those aha, teachable moment. And so as he walked up and they were getting ready to kind of get on the little plane there, he feigned horror, right? Are you kidding me? You want me to get on that bucket of bolts? I mean, look at that thing. I mean, do you know how much I weigh? Do you know how heavy I am? And you and me both in this plane? And do you, there is no way that thing is going to like get us up in the air and be able to keep us up there. This is never going to work. I mean, we're, we're going to come crashing down. It's, it's never going to happen. And the pilot was like, man, I've never seen this side of him before. What in the world's up? And so, so he begins to explain it to him, right? He begins to talk to him about uh, uh, lift and drag and weight and thrust and all these things that work together so that the, the plane can be lifted above the ground and, and the design of the wings and the law of aerodynamics and the pressure above the wing and below the wing and how it lifts it above the gravitational pull and all this is going on. And finally, they get in the plane and they take off and as they're cruising Stuart turns to his pilot friend and he says you know I didn't understand everything you were just telling me on the ground in fact is a lot of it confused me he said but you know what the law of aerodynamics has allowed us to overcome the law of gravity and we're not stuck on the ground and we're not crashing because the law of aerodynamics has set us free. We're free to fly. The law of gravity doesn't keep us pinned to the ground. We can soar. We can soar because of the laws of aerodynamics. We don't have to stay captive to that law of gravity. And by this time, his pilot friend, ah, I get it. I'm on to your teaching method now. See, the law of the Spirit sets us free from the law of the flesh. The law of the Spirit enables us to soar over the gravitational pull of the flesh. It's still there in the world, but we don't have to stay grounded. You don't have to keep crashing and burning back into old habits and old ways of living and doing because you've been set free. You've been set free by the law of of the Spirit so that you can soar, so that you can live distinctly and differently. And then to drive home one last point, Stuart said, well, now, now that we've learned how to fly, and he acted like he's going to open the door and step out. <laughs> and the pilot was kind of, like, okay, okay, I get it, I get it. What you're trying to remind me of 
is that the only way to keep flying is to stay in the plane. The only way to soar and live the life God wants you to live is you got to stay connected to Christ. You got to abide in Him and Him in you. And when you do, the law of the Spirit enables you to soar above the gravitational pull of the flesh in your life. Here's what I want you to hear this morning. Is sin still operative and present? Do all of us have areas of our life where we feel that gravitational pull of the flesh? You bet. You bet. And we will as long as we're living in these unredeemed bodies in this sin-scarred world. But good news You have been set free. The law of the Spirit says you don't have to keep living in the same old way. You don't have to keep tied up with the same old habits. You don't have to let your past continue to control your present and dictate your future because you have been set free. In Jesus Christ, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Jesus Christ. You have a supernatural capacity to live a life of distinction to live a life as light in a world of darkness, of salt in a light of decay. You can live powerfully. You can live differently. You can live in a way that makes a difference and reverberates throughout eternity because you have been set free. Go ahead. Yeah, absolutely. Wow. But with great power goes great responsibility. You've been set free. Live in light of your new identity and your new power. Let's pray to him together. Oh, Father, how I thank you that all across this room right now, you want to set some people free. You want to set people free from hurts, You want to set us free from some things that have tripped us up and been hanging us up for so long. You want to set us free from false identity, from habits that have just sucked the life out of us. Father, thank you. (laughs) Thank you that you have loved us so much and that you have provided so much for us that we have been set free. And so, Lord, I just pray today that all across this room that there would be men and women who step into that freedom, who come to understand that they can't on their own, but they can do all things through you. Father, I pray that there are going to be some folks that this week they're going to pull out of the gravitational pull of the flesh and they're going to soar with eagle's wings because of the presence of the Spirit. Father, thank you. Thank you that you've set us free. Lord, we have not only that power, but we have a responsibility. A responsibility to, to use what it is you have entrusted to us. And so, Father, I just ask in these last few moments that we have together, that you would just graciously speak to every one of us in this room. 
Help us to understand the greatness of the power and the greatness of the calling that is upon our lives. And to live in light of it this week. As you just sit before the Lord, we want to provide you just a couple of minutes.